Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This show is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. It is the ultimate and commercial agent training. Do check it out. I know you will love it. Even the most experienced brokers around the country just rave about it. You can actually get one of the videos for free. If you want your money back within two days, let us know. That's why we know you'll love it. Guarantee. The website is commercialagentsuccess.com. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about multifamily. We're going to also talk about student housing. You know, it seems that uh, the multifamily market has been on a great run f- for a long time. But, of course, a little bit uh, of these markets going to hit the brakes on uh, rent increases. Uh, of course, we've had a little bit of slowdown last year, you might say, in transaction volume. But what's going on now and what do we expect moving forward? For performance, rates, escalations, transaction volume in both student and multi-housing. Let's find out. Please welcome my guest. It's Carl Whitaker. Carl is Director of Research and Analysis with RealPage. Carl, good to see you. Michael, always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Well, thank you. And let's just talk about multifamily first because, um, you know, there's a lot of people that just think that multifamily has been great and is still great. There seems to be still a lot of buyer interest. Uh, in the sector, but trans- transaction volume has slowed a little bit. Uh, but let's first talk about kind of performance, right? We've had these great rent increases for years. How did last year kind of end up, and, and what do you expect to moving forward for for rates? Yeah, for sure. I think 2023 in some ways was a bit of a year of a correction, but I think it's important to understand that correction wasn't necessarily a capital C correction and that rent suddenly plummeted overnight. Uh, You know, it was more so just things kind of slowing down back more towards a historically normal level, a little bit below historically normal in many markets. But, uh, you know, one of the things we also saw was that demand actually recovered after a really weak 2022. So there's kind of a little bit of a lag between rent growth and occupancy and where demand is. And we saw that demand improved last year. I think that's one of the more important takeaways going into 2024. Uh, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that 2024 is going to be a year where we see that historically normal 2 3% rent growth. But I do think that the performance readings that are going to be demand-derived, i.e. rent growth and occupancy, uh, certainly appeared to have turned the corner late last year. And just to cite one data point real quick, annual rent change as of January 2024 about 0.3%, certainly not a banner a year across the country, but that is up from about 0.1% at the low point in September of last year. So I think, you know, that's one good example of where if you're looking purely at a momentum-based perspective, we saw things kind of improve a little bit over the past couple months. Right. So that's not much rent increase, is it? Especially compared to what we've been used to. Uh, What about occupancy? Yeah, and, 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 and it's a good point because rent is really just a derivative of, or rent growth, I should say, is really just a derivative of where occupancy is. Occupancy nationwide, about 94, 94.5% in most markets. A few of the Sunbelt markets, a few of those in Texas and Florida, uh, markets where we're seeing occupancy come in below 93%. That's not historically out of line necessarily where a lot of these markets 
uh, have been over the past, call it 20 years. But in some of these instances, we are seeing markets come in at you know a, a 10 year low in terms of occupancy. But really what we're seeing in that instance is simply just a, a supply demand story. In other words, Florida, Texas, Georgia, the Carolinas, Tennessee, that's where you have the most supply delivering nationally and demand is pretty strong. It's just that more supply is delivering than what is realistically being absorbed. So from one perspective, demand is strong. Supply is also at a 40, 50 year peak. That'll be a story that continues forward. Uh, but again, the good news is that demand is there and that should keep occupancy in our view stable around that, call it 94, 94 and a half percent nationwide. Some of those Sunbelt markets may be closer to 92 and a half, 93 uh, percent before improving in 25 and 26. I see. And you mentioned that uh, it should continue with the new supply. And, uh, you know, you mentioned markets like Texas and, and Florida. You, you kind of picture those as really, really hot markets. So does new supply really continue or does it start curtailing a little bit uh, with, with new starts? Yeah, and I love the way you parse that out there because that's really where the devil in the details is. When you look at supply, we're probably 12 to 18 months out from a peak in what's delivering. But when you look at construction, we're actually two quarters past peak construction levels. So what's happening is starts today are much, much lower than they were um, a couple years ago. And in fact, starts in 2023, RealPage estimates about 380,000 new multifamily units started. That's the lowest we've seen since 2014. Now, again, it's going to take a year uh, to three years before that's realized in the actual delivery figures. But construction's already falling and starts are falling faster than construction is. So I think what you'll see there is that 2024, big banner year for supply probably extends into 2025, but by 2026, I wouldn't be surprised if we're delivering fewer units than what we were used to throughout most of the 2010s. And Carl, is this uh, occupancy and, and rent story um, hold true for just pretty much all classes or is just just an, an A story? Yeah, it's largely an A story that we're seeing. And one of the things being totally candid with our audience here, something that we kind of discounted is how much of a flat to quality we've seen over the past couple, uh, past couple months. And what we mean by that is that despite all this inventory delivering, Class A rent growth is actually setting the lead. It's, it's, it's the pace car for what we're seeing. Now, it's not saying that Class A is necessarily getting strong rent growth, but uh, we've seen Class A rents expanding by about half a percentage to maybe a percentage point more than what you're seeing in the Class B sector. And I think really what you're seeing here, it's just it's such a fascinating case study that really gets my research-focused brain uh, churning. And what I think what you're seeing is that so much new supply is delivering, uh, it's actually increasing the amount of competition at that higher price point. So some of your class A units, if they're able to offer a discount or a concession, it's actually pulling renters out of the class B tranche and into the class A pool. And then class B doesn't necessarily have as much ability to pull from the class C into the class B. And again, I could, I could wax poetic about this because it's such a fascinating research trend, but we're seeing that class A is holding up the best in the market today, despite class A facing the most new supply. Yeah. We know what, Carl, our audience loves this, uh, but if there's someone that's not in our industry who happens to, 
turn on this, they probably think we're real nerds that we, <laughs> we really enjoy this. Uh, but you know what? In commercial real estate, investment, multifamily real estate, you're always wanting to escape where the puck's going, right? You got to gotta think about it. Are there any uh, markets that kind of jump out to you, uh, Carl, of any um, performance uh, uh, that we sh- should be noted? Yeah, uh, I'll call out one region in particular, and it's, you know, we're, uh, I guess I'll preface by saying we're at the point of a cycle here where the tortoise is beating the hare. And what I mean by that is the Midwest and the Northeast are actually leading the country today for rent growth. Now, leading rent growth is really about 2% on an annual basis. So it's certainly not that those two regions are performing gangbusters. What we're seeing instead is that steady demand in the absence of supply supports historically normal rent growth of about 2%. Conversely, the Sun Belt, some of those markets in the uh, desert and mountains regions, that's where a lot of supply is delivering. It's also where the most demand continues to flow, however. So the reason I preface that is that if you're a long-term believer in the demand story in Florida, Texas, the Carolinas, Georgia, etc., the next year or two might be a good time to acquire in those regions because we know that you're going to have some distressed sellers pop up due to the weakened performance today. So if you're comfortable and able to make interest rates work where they're at today, coupled with maybe underwriting negative rent growth in year one, the Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, et cetera, those regions might end up being a little bit more appealing today than what we've seen in a few years, simply because you have access to properties that maybe you didn't uh, from a transactions perspective um, popping up in, or at least expected to pop up over the next 12 months. Yeah, that's a real good point. I, I like it. And one of the things I notice about uh, multifamily rents is they seem to do better too in some of these mixed use uh, environments and uh, uh, to your point uh, there, we have a around a $90 million uh, Class A beautiful multifamily deal that's in mi- that one of those mixed-use environments, and it just performs well, and we're about to bring that uh, to the market. It'll be interesting to see, you know, and how did kind of the year end on and transaction volume for multifamily, and what do you expect moving forward? Yeah, and you prefaced it well earlier when you said 2023 was a challenging year for transactions. Um, we saw that uh, 23, the number of units trading or the total dollar volume, whichever metric you prefer to look at, was well below 2022 and 2021, but it was really even below uh, pre-pandemic levels. You know, you'd have to go back to 2015, 2016 to see as little uh, dollar and unit volume trading hands as what we saw in 2023. Now, the good news is, again, the slowdown in transactions was largely interest rate driven. In other words, it wasn't appetite driven. Uh, And especially when you consider some of the capital that's flowing into the space that historically wasn't necessarily coming into the degree that it is, I think ultimately what you're gonna see is 2024 transactions increase because A, that appetite remains strong. B, distress will happen in the market. Now, I wanna preface really quick and say that when we say distress will happen, it'll still be more pocket-driven and more anecdotal than it will be broad-based. But nevertheless, you're gonna see for the first time in a few years, a position where some sellers are effectively forced to sell and that's gonna inherently increase that transaction volume. So the good news is that 
The demand side, both from renters and investors, remains strong. The further good news is at least we have a little bit more interest rate clarity. I don't know if they'll come down this year all that significantly. I think it would be the very end of this year if they did come down at all. Uh, and it would be modest at most. But nevertheless, the fact that we at least kind of have some directionality now uh, should help inform some improved sentiment among, investor, uh, among investors. So I think 2024, uh, again, a far cry from some of those years past that we've seen. But I think 2024 and certainly 2025, you see more investment volume than you did in 23. Yeah, well, I agree with that. And, and on the, I guess, the front line where Rehards, brokers, selling properties throughout the Southeast U.S. is we've seen an exceptional uh, rise in buyer and seller activity this year, like January and February. It's like the offers are flying in. So everybody's a little more comfortable, right? That, hey, the, the president, the, the Fed gave us the president in December. Hey, we're not going to raise it maybe for a while, right? Uh, and maybe one day lower. So everybody's, all right, now we know where we are. Let's, let's get some deals done. So it, it was remarkable. It was like, yeah, you know, you could hear crickets at the in the last quarter of the year, which is rare, right? You usually see a lot of business at the end of the in the year, but then all of a sudden January hits, February hits, and everybody's wanting to do deals. It's uh, it's been really fun. Well, let's talk about student housing because you know a lot of people may think that uh, student kind of runs the same uh, path as as regular market multifamily. Um, but you know what what have you been saying? Yeah, student and conventional multifamily housing right now from a performance perspective really couldn't look all that much different. Uh, we're seeing student housing as of January, 48% of off-campus beds have been leased for this fall 2024 semester. And that's the highest rate we've ever seen pre-leased as of January in the 10 years that we've tracked the industry. So you've got record pre-lease volumes Rent growth has slowed down. I think some of that's more so just a byproduct of broader inflation cooling. Uh, some of the money supply starting to, to, to level off there, which is causing rent growth to cool down. However, even then you look at annual rent change and we're still looking at five, five and a half percent growth on these rents. And, you know, that's some of the strongest months we've ever seen on record. So slowing the reason I say that is slowing shouldn't be conflated with weakening. Slowing is really just more so moderation and normalization uh, than anything else. I think what's really driving this in student housing, though, is two things. One, you have that flat to quality happening again. Uh, and what I mean by that is that some of these big brand name institutions, you know, the power five schools, you may hear that term, the division one schools, some, some folks are probably familiar with that. Those institutions are generally seeing the strongest enrollment growth. And while overall enrollment is declining, those institutions are still seeing pretty strong enrollment growth. So you've got a lot of demand happening in that, uh, that top tranche of universities. The other thing is that while conventional is on the cusp of a 50-year supply peak, student housing is actually uh, seeing about 70% of its normal volume delivering. So we saw that supply, or I should say construction, pulled back in student housing a lot sooner than it did in conventional. And with where interest rates are, you haven't seen as much um, new supply coming online. And I think that'll carry forward throughout the rest of the 2020s. So you've got strong demands, You've got a relatively little amount of new supply. And in turn, you see rent growth and occupancy performing really, really well by, by historic standards. Yeah, and that's good to hear. 
What about uh, transaction volume of investment in student housing? What do you expect to see? I would expect to see a really similar trend. You know, when you look at the year over year pullback in conventional and student on a percentage basis, that pullback was about the same. And again, to me, that signals that, hey, this was truly an interest rate driven external influence. It wasn't an appetite driven thing or a concern with the sector thing. So I think 2024, you'll see an increase in student housing investment. I think the one unknown and the one thing that we'll want to keep a close eye on is with student performance remaining relatively resilient over the past two years, while conventional multifamily has slowed, does that actually pull in a little bit more capital to the student sector than historically would have been allocated there? And it's, you know, students still a pretty small sector. We, we only track about a million purpose-built beds across the country. So it doesn't take a lot more capital to move the needle there or a lot more interest to move the needle. So I think overall, you'll see student housing transactions increase a little bit sooner and a little bit more rapidly than what's happening on conventional. Um, but overall, the investment environment for both product types looks pretty good in 2024 and 25. That's good to hear. What is your What are your thoughts on age-restricted apartments, Carl? Yeah, so age-restricted, we don't get into a ton um, in, in, in our data. So I'm a, a little hesitant to offer too many deep insights there. You know, student housing in some way is kind of the inverse of age-restricted. It's just, you know, the younger age-restricted. Um, but one of the things I think you will see is that you take a look at a simple population um, a pyramid or a demographics curve, and we've got a lot of folks that are coming up at that point in their life cycle where um, age-restricted housing uh, you're going to have a lot of demand flowing in there. The question is how much supply is out there and do we have enough supply to meet those needs? You know, and it's it's still a pretty nascent sector. So I think that we've seen some lessons learned over the past few years. But again, from a purely numbers demographics based, you're going to see quite a bit of demand flowing into that sector. Uh, the question is just how much supply is there to capture it? Yeah. Well, it's interesting to look at the demographics uh, in multifamily today. To to your point, with the uh, baby boomers starting to to uh, continue to make their impact, I uh, I have a home in Lake Lanier, and I keep a, a loft apartment and a and a, um, a community here right right by my office. And hey, I, I was walking down the hallway, I heard a couple tenants playing Beatles songs. So you know, these aren't young people. I don't think <laughs> you know. Uh, I think there's more and more people of age just really kind of like and enjoy the lifestyle, right? Yeah, yeah. Having the flexibility is nice. I mean, I think a lot of people are really keyed in on just the the flexibility and the malleability that it that it, that it provides you. And and you're not working on your house all weekend. <laughs> well, Carl, what would you leave the audience <laughs> to think about related to uh, multifamily or student housing in uh, in 2024? Yeah, I think the, the you know the, the 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 trend that's most interesting to me again is that you've seen a slowdown in transaction activity, not driven by performance necessarily. So as performance stabilizes and potentially increases, keep a close eye on how that influences transaction volumes because there's 
there's a lot of demand out there for investing in apartments and especially considering um, some other sectors where capital historically maybe would have targeted, but is now looking at multifamily with more earnest. So, um, you know, on one side, the liquidity is going to be nice to see increase in 2024. The other side of that, however, is going to be a lot more competition means, you know, maybe some um, some pretty uh, significant increases from a price per unit perspective, and just you know your your deal package might have to be a little bit sweeter than you're than you're used to in previous cycles. So I think those are uh, a couple things worth considering. But overall, we think multifamily's in a good shape. You know the demand the demand curve for multifamily looks good for the long haul. Uh, so I think it's a good time to be in the sector. Yeah, I agree. I think if you are a seller, you know, uh, call us. We can get you multiple competing bids. There's still a lot of people. They love multifamily, want to invest in it. And to your point, a lot of capital that uh, is earmarked for multifamily. Well, Carl, great information as usual, sir. Thank you for being on the show and uh, sharing all this with us. Yeah, always a pleasure and happy to help out wherever we can. So just let us know. All right. Thank you, Carl. Um, and thank you around the country for listening and for watching and for sharing the show uh, and for connecting with us on your social media. If you ever have any ideas or thoughts or questions for me, I give you my email. It's an easy one to remember. It's michael at bullrealty.com. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bullet Realty. For commercial brokerage sales and leasing in the Southeast U.S., contact our show host by email at michael at bullrealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success Strategies, 21 incredible one-hour agent training videos. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. And by Lumet. For senior housing, health care, and multifamily financing, visit lumet.com. For more podcasts and videos, subscribe and visit CREshow.com.